Good morning. Let's begin our time this morning with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we gather this morning again in spirit to worship the risen Lord Jesus Christ, to meditate upon his word and to be filled with the strength of the Holy Spirit. We ask that as we give our attention and our minds to your word, that you would shape and fashion us, that you would conform us to the image of your son, that you would transform us into his likeness. And we pray that through your word, we would be strengthened and encouraged and built up for the work that you have given us to do. We continue to pray for the wisdom of our leaders in this nation and across the world. We pray that you would give them the insight and the wisdom that they need. We pray that their decisions would be righteous decisions. We pray that you would protect them from the temptation of grabbing and clinging to power that you would give them clean consciences to do what is right before you. And we ask for your people across this planet that they would be protected from the enemy, that they would hold fast the faith firm until the end, and that they would not waver in unbelief. And we pray for our body at Martinsdale, that you would give us a unity in the spirit, even while we are apart, and that our love for one another would grow, that it would abound, and that we would be able to encourage and strengthen each other in whatever ways we find. And I ask, Lord, that you would bless us through this time of being apart, that we would grow and not diminish as a result of this. We ask for your blessing now as we give our attention to your word, and we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as I mentioned last week, Pastor Jeremy is enjoying some time off from his normal work, and that's going to continue through this upcoming week, and then he'll return with us the following week. This morning, we'll have the opportunity to hear God's word from Mitchell, He's been working hard over the last few weeks preparing, and I trust that we'll be edified by our time this morning in the book of Colossians. Next week, Lord willing, I'll be teaching and we'll be back in the book of Ephesians. Our cancellations continue still presently through April 30th. We'll update you whenever we have more information on that. Remember that since we can't meet together, offerings can be mailed into the church, P.O. Box 200, Martinsdale, Iowa, 50160. There's a good chance we've been discussing some of this amongst the elders. There's a good chance that when we are allowed to gather back together again, that it's going to end up being in some modified format, at least to begin with. Perhaps our total number will be limited, or perhaps we'll have some requirement for masks 
or perhaps seats will need to be arranged in a specific way. We might need to make use of the gym and further use of the fireside room and cry room. We don't know anything yet, but we're thinking through some of those possibilities in hopes that we can see each other again as soon as that's possible. Just to let you know some of the things we've been talking about. Dave Lample is going to resume his study in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. He'll be doing it remotely, but if you've been a part of that study, or if you're interested in just some more time in God's Word, there are links to his recordings and notes that are included in the bulletin today. So take a look at that bulletin, and you can email Dave or the church office, and we'd, we'd be happy to help you access that if you're having any trouble. And finally this morning, Hazel Kruger would like to announce that she is going to be a big sister. James and Laura are praising God for this new blessing in their lives. And now we welcome Mitchell to share with us from God's Word. Good morning. I was looking forward to seeing all your faces this morning, but I'm still glad that we can be with one another in spirit. And I'm also glad for the fact that even though we are limited in the ways we can gather, the Word of God is not limited in its life-changing power. When was the last time you thought about your household rules? If you're like me, you can't remember. And that's probably because you've grown so familiar with them. From the moment you step in the front door to the moment you climb in your beds to sleep, you follow a number of rules. You might have a rule to take your shoes off and place them on a shoe bench in order to keep the carpets clean. Or you might have a rule to clean the dishes as soon as a meal is finished. Or you might have a rule to leave the nightlight on in the bathroom. If these are household rules, then it's not just you who does such things. Your spouse does them, and your children do, and you may even ask guests to follow the same rules. And it's typical that these behaviors show something of your personality. Perhaps how concerned you are about cleanliness, or tidiness, or hygiene. Now, when was the last time you thought about God's household rules? We are members of His household, and He is our Father. So what are the rules He has for His children? If you've been changed through the gospel by Jesus Christ, you have entered the household of God. Many others in the church, along with you, have been given the title, God's Chosen Ones. God has given us all His household rules. And as your children should want to please you and desire to behave according to your wishes, so it is in the household of God. If we want to become more like Christ and be seen as His children, then it is vital for us to understand God's household rules. And this is what Paul addresses in our passage this morning. Let's open together to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. And we are going to see God's household rules. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for making us members of Your household through Jesus Christ. We thank You especially in this season for our good health that You have given us. And even though we are scattered in a sense this morning, we pray that You would use Your Word to grow us, conform us into the image of Your dear Son. So strengthen us now to understand Your Word and change us by Your power. In Christ's name, Amen. As I said, Paul's focus in this message is God's household rules. There are two sections to this passage, and they're pretty easy to detect. In verse 12, Paul begins, put on, and he continues that same thought, put on, through verse 14. Then, in verse 15, he shifts from the metaphor of putting clothes on to the metaphor of Christ ruling in our lives. So God's household rules are twofold. Wear the right clothes in verses 12 to 14 and serve the right master in verses 15 to 17. The first point in your outline is wear the right clothes, which can be understood as putting on different qualities or characteristics. But before Paul tells us about this clothing, notice what he says in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before telling us what we should put on, he reminds us who we are. God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That is the first blank in your outline. Our divine calling. Our divine calling. Notice that this section is not evangelistic. Paul already assumes that he's writing to believers. So putting on these clothes doesn't make you a Christian. God makes people Christians through the gospel. This passage focuses on the character we should have as believers. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul says that we are chosen ones, we are holy, and we are beloved. So what is our divine calling? First, we are chosen ones. We didn't become believers in Jesus Christ on our own initiative. In our lost and sinful condition, none of us chose God. But God chose us. He is the one who brought us into His household and changed our hearts. We are God's chosen ones. Second, we are also holy or set apart. 
Just as the one who called us is holy, all whom he calls become like him. We have been set apart from our sinful and rebellious lives. And we have also been set apart to serve Jesus Christ. Third, we are beloved. We are precious to the one who chose us. What an encouragement for us as Paul begins to detail God's household rules. These aren't laws handed down by an indifferent, unfeeling, distant Congress. These rules come from our Maker who calls us beloved. This is our divine calling. We are chosen by Him, made holy like Him, and loved by Him. And now that Paul has told us who we are, he transitions to the clothing we should wear. Remember verse 12 began with, put on. And he doesn't leave us wondering what should be in our wardrobe. He continues, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These five garments are our Christian clothing. Our Christian clothing. The first piece of clothing we should put on is a compassionate heart. This is genuine sympathy or pity for fellow believers. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The second is kindness, which means to have consideration or to look out for the interests of others. The third of these five articles of clothing is humility. Humility is having an accurate opinion of yourself and others. As Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Humility also involves preferring others. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Fourth is meekness, or it can be translated gentleness or courtesy. The idea is that we should not be unnecessarily harsh. And finally, patience, being slow to anger, slow to avenge wrongs. Even when being sinned against, we should bear up without retaliating. These five articles of clothing identify what we should be like by God's grace as members of His household. This is our Christian clothing. What we ought to wear as the members of God's household. And as we put on these qualities, our identity becomes crystal clear. Now, Paul mentions two ways we should treat one another as we put on those qualities. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. As we are putting on these five qualities, we should be bearing with one another and forgiving each other. 
This is our Christ-like conduct. Our Christ-like conduct. It is important that we treat one another as Christ has treated us. There's no better way to follow God's household rules than to treat one another as God has treated us. The first part of our Christ-like conduct is bearing with one another or enduring what is difficult. But what is it we should endure? Should we endure or put up with sin? Because Paul deals specifically with forgiveness in the next phrase, I think it's clear that sin is not in view. So what should we endure? We should bear with another in regard to our personality quirks, our opinions, our preferences, differences, oddities, and so on. For example, if you notice how loud someone chews their food, you've eaten enough meals with them to know he isn't trying to push your buttons by doing this. This is just part of who they are. In this situation, you should bear with him. As God's children, we should bear with one another. The second part of our Christian conduct is forgiveness. Look at the rest of verse 13. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Not only are we going to annoy each other or have to deal with differences of opinion, but Paul presupposes that we will sin against one another. And when we sin against each other, the solution is not to bear with it, but to address it and forgive. Paul gives a scenario in which someone has a complaint against another. Complaint can also be translated as fault. And implied in this language is that one person sinned or wronged another. Paul then tells us that we are to forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven. So are we supposed to forgive without any confrontation or confession? No. Remember how the Lord forgave us. He had faults against us. He confronted us with hell and judgment. And then came the gospel. We agreed that we had wronged him. And then came forgiveness. And that is the same pattern Paul wants us to follow when he tells us to forgive. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. This is our Christ-like conduct. To bear with each other and to forgive one another. We've seen our divine calling, our Christian clothing, our Christ-like conduct, and now in verse 14, we see our central characteristic. Our central characteristic. Paul writes in verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It is important to clothe ourselves with love if we want to obey God's household rules. The five articles of clothing we looked at are important, and bearing with and forgiving each other is important. 
But Paul sets love apart as distinct. It is distinct because it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love, like a belt, ties up and holds together the rest of the clothing. It ties together all the other qualities and all the other behaviors. Not only does it bind everything else together, there is a sense in which it permeates everything else. Love is like a marinade. You soak meat in a marinade so that the flavor of that marinade permeates the meat. Remember Jesus said the first and second greatest commandments are, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says that as long as you have love, all your other behaviors will be loving. So Paul is telling us that when we put on love, our compassionate hearts will be loving, our kindness will be loving, our humility will be loving, our meekness will be loving, and our patience will be loving. So by way of application, what does this mean for us now while we can't have regular interactions with one another? Well, this unusual time of isolation can serve as a magnifying glass to examine deficiencies in our love for one another. Maybe you struggle with patience, or you find it difficult to be humble, or perhaps you have drifted to focus almost exclusively on your own interests while forgetting or ignoring the interests of others. Make a list of those deficiencies. Pray about those deficiencies and ask the Lord to help you grow. Which of those qualities do you think you have the most work to do on? Well, tell somebody in the church you want to put that quality on. So the first rule for God's household is wear the right clothes. Paul now shifts to the second rule, serve the right master. In verses 15 to 17, Paul urges us, to let Christ have full jurisdiction in every area of life. Every household has an authority. And that authority can either be accepted or spurned. Children can accept their parents' authority by going to bed when they are told. But when they visit grandma, she lets them stay up an extra hour. When they come home, though, if they go to bed an hour later they would be spurning their parents' authority. In the same way, we should accept the authority of Christ as our master. Paul writes in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. One way we can serve the right master is to let his peace rule. Your first blank is, Christ must rule over our lives. Christ must rule over our lives. It is important that we let Christ rule in our lives through His peace. If we want to obey God's household rules, in many scenarios, parents should be the decision makers for their children. 
That's because parents often know better than children. For instance, your son may be fully convinced that eating chocolate chip cookies would be the best breakfast food. But mom and dad know those eating habits will lead to stomach aches and hyperactivity. In a similar way, Christ should be the decision maker for us, and that through his peace. Paul tells us in this verse that his peace was our calling. Peace is the absence of hostility with God and the presence of kinship with God. Peace is not a general tranquility or feeling at ease. Well, many people have tranquility and feel at ease, but have no peace with God. When God drew us to himself, he drew us to peace. We ended our sinful resistance and began our joyful service to him. This peace with God was created by our Savior through his death on the cross. After Paul tells us that his peace should be our calling, he now says that his peace should control us. Christ's peace should control what we think when someone cuts us off while driving. That means we shouldn't return evil for evil by harboring bitterness in our hearts against them or cutting them off shortly thereafter. We should overcome evil with good by driving respectfully and considering them as more important than ourselves. And it should control how we act when a pandemic affects our jobs. We shouldn't grumble about layoffs or dispute the guidelines of our governor, but rather we should give thanks to God for his kindness in providing for us and keeping us safe. We know that his peace was our calling, and we know that it should control us. Now, Paul tells us that Christ's peace comes when we are thankful and be thankful. Those are the last three words of our verse. And I think they refer to the result of letting Christ rule in our lives. Thankfulness is the natural consequence of letting Christ rule in our lives. Sometimes we're not inclined to be thankful. And when we find ourselves in that position, it is likely the case that we are not letting Christ rule in our lives. His peace is not burdensome, nor does it weigh us down. His peace brings delight to the people of God. So before we leave the peace of Christ, I want to give another word of application. I don't know about you, but I can't tell you how eager I am to assemble together as a body. And unfortunately, we don't know how long this isolation will last. But remember what Paul said in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Just because we have a temporary hiatus on meeting together doesn't mean we stop being part of one body. Christ has made us one body through his death upon the cross. So 
don't grow discouraged. Set your minds on what is true and unchanging. Paul has told us to let Christ's peace rule in our lives. Now, we find out about the peace of Christ through the Word of Christ. And the Word of Christ inextricably brings the peace of Christ. So it is easy to understand why Paul now tells us that Christ must reside in our lives through His Word. He writes, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The second way we can serve the right master is to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. Your second blank is Christ must reside in our lives. Christ must reside in our lives. It's important that we let Christ reside in our lives if we want to obey God's household rules. Think with me once again about the household in reference to residing. Disaster would ensue if children would decide that they didn't need their parents to reside in the same house with them. They would run the risk of becoming malnourished from a constant diet of Mountain Dew and birthday cake, unsanitary from unwashed hands, and keeping on the same set of clothes, and misguided playing endless hours of video games and watching movies. We run a similar risk if we do not let Christ reside in us. Paul now explains what it means for Christ to reside in our lives. He dwells in us through His Word. That is your next blank. He dwells in us through His Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ is another way of saying the Word of God. The entire teaching of Christ is contained in the entire canon of Scripture. And as we know, the whole Scripture is profitable for every believer. There are two ways that we can do that. The first is to read the Word daily. In the same way that our bodies need to be nourished on a daily basis, so do our souls. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then also listen to the words of Job in Job 23.12. I have not departed from the commandment of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my portion of food. Reading the Word daily will help us to set our minds on the truth and it will aid us in detecting sin in our own lives and it will help us to encourage others. The second is to see the Word's relevance in daily circumstances. That is, apply it to your own life every day. When you feel the warmth of the sun, you can think of the fact that God made the sun to rule over the day. When you drink a cup of water, think about the fact that Jesus Christ gives water that quenches our thirst. 
And when you hear of catastrophe, you can think about the groaning of creation until our redemption arrives. Apply the word to your daily circumstances. So that is how we allow Christ to reside in our lives. We meditate on his word. We read his word and see its relevance in our circumstances. Next, Paul shows us two results or outcomes when we do that. When Christ dwells in us through his word, we talk to others through his word. We talk to others through his word. Paul gives us two routes of talking. The first is teaching or the explanation of the word. It unpacks what God says and contributes to the growth of other believers. Sometimes we might be tempted to think teaching is only for pastors or those who lead Sunday school classes. But here, Paul says that teaching is a responsibility that we all have toward one another. Remember our Lord's emphasis on teaching in the Great Commission. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The second is admonishing. Admonishing is correcting or encouraging with the word. Admonition can be either a stop sign, don't do that, or a spur on the boot, that's it, keep it up. Paul tells us that both teaching and admonishing should be in all wisdom. And there's little doubt that this wisdom comes from the word of Christ. As the word of Christ dwells in us, we gain the wisdom we need to teach and admonish one another. Paul now gives us the second result of Christ's word dwelling in us. We sing to him through his word. We sing to him through his word. I, for one, am thankful that he doesn't say we need to have a superior talent for singing. He simply says that we will sing. And he says we will sing in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These categories of singing highlight unity and diversity. All of them point to one theme, songs centered on the truth. But they also point to the importance of singing a mix of songs, whether from the Psalter, the hymnal, or the pen of a congregation member. Next, Paul tells us the way in which we should sing. We should sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God. This thankfulness naturally arises because Christ rules in our lives. Just as with Christ's peace ruling over our lives, thankfulness is the natural consequence of letting Christ reside in our lives. Christ resides in our lives as we allow His Word to dwell in us. And as that happens, we will teach and admonish each other. We will sing with thankfulness to God. Now Paul moves on to a third way that we can serve the right master. The third way we can serve the right master is to do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus. So if we're going to serve the right master, Christ must rule over our lives. Christ must reside in our lives. And finally, Christ must be represented by our lives. Christ must be represented by our lives. He writes, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul gives us three aspects of this representation. The first aspect is its reach. The reach everywhere. The reach everywhere. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. We should represent Christ throughout our whole lives. When we think of an earthly king or queen, their representation has boundaries. That may end at the border of another country or at the shore of an ocean. But with Christ, His representation has no boundaries. And that extends to every element of our lives. We represent Christ in the office during a stressful day, at the dinner table with misbehaving children, at the grocery store when we can't find toilet paper, and at the mechanic shop paying for an unexpected repair. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. The second aspect of representation is the representatives in His name. The representatives, or excuse me, the representation in His name. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. In order for Christ to be represented, He must have a representative. We are God's people, and He has marked us out as His possession through Christ. But we do not just bear the image of Christ because of salvation, but we are to bear His name in all that we do. Whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, should be done for His glory. We should make it our aim to please Him. For example, when we order food at a restaurant and it's cold when the waitress brings it out, we might become annoyed. We have a legitimate reason to complain. But can we let the waitress know about the problem in the name of the Lord Jesus? Or how about our posts and comments on Facebook or Instagram? If we were to look back at the last month of our posts and comments, could we stand up unashamed and say, I posted and commented in the name of the Lord Jesus? Now Paul gives us a third aspect of representation. The result. Giving thanks. The result. Giving thanks. The pervasive representation of the Lord Jesus 
should provoke us to give thanks to God. It was good and right that Christ began to be represented in us when he saved us. And it is right that he is represented in us now as we grow as his children. This temperament of thanksgiving should not come as a surprise to us. Notice the frequency of thankfulness in this section. We see it in verse 15, and be thankful. We see it in verse 16, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we see it in verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The apostles demonstrated this very point in Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 41. After they were beaten and scolded for speaking in the name of Jesus. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. The apostles were provoked to give thanks to God because of their representation of Christ. This is an example that we would do well to follow. In our passage, we have learned what it means to wear the right clothes and serve the right master. Those are God's household rules. We should examine deficiencies in our love for one another. We should let the peace of Christ control our minds to focus on the reality that we are one body, despite our temporary hiatus of meeting together. And we should determine to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we want to become more like Christ and be seen as His children, then it is vital for us to understand God's household rules. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word this morning. Help us to remember these truths to grow as your children. Bless us and keep us by your grace. And we look forward to seeing one another soon. In Jesus' name, amen.